0: there is a station where those who arrive are those who are leaving a station where those who arrive have never arrived where those who have left never came back it is the largest station in the world this is the station they reach from wherever they came all of them took what was most valuable because you must not leave what is valuable when you take a long trip. All of them brought their life, because above all, it is your life you must take with you. They had no idea you could take a train to hell, but since they were there, they got their courage up and got ready to face what was coming together with their children, their wives, and their old parents, with their family memories and family papers. They did not know there is no arriving in this station, they expect the worst, they do not expect the unthinkable.
1: In this episode of Death and Numbers, part of a series on international women's history, we talk about French author Charlotte Delbo. Charlotte Delbo narrates the experience of being deported to concentration camps during the Holocaust. She was born on August 10, 1913, in vigneux sur seine just outside of Paris. Her parents were Italian immigrants and members of the working class. Although she was a bright student, she never received her baccalaureate degree, the equivalent of a high school diploma in France. Instead, Delbel furthered her education by studying under renowned sociologist Henri Lefebvre from 1930 to 1934. She took classes at a technical college, studying stenography and learning English. Politically active from a young age, Charlotte Delbo joined the French Young Women's Communist League as a teenager. Through the organization, she met her husband, Georges Dudac. She later became involved in theater, serving as an administrative assistant to famed director Louis Jouvet. While working for Jouvet, Delbo traveled to Buenos Aires, Argentina. During the visit, Nazi forces defeated the French army, occupying northern France. Although she could have remained safely in Argentina, Delbo told Jouvet she had to return to France. I can't stand being safe while others are put to death. I won't be able to look anyone in the eye. Returning to France, Delbo joined the resistance movement, distributing pamphlets and publishing the underground newspaper French Letters. On March 2, 1942, five French policemen followed a careless courier to Delbo's house. They arrested Delbo, her husband, and several other resistors. After being interrogated and presumably tortured, Dudac and Delbo were transferred to La Santé prison. On May 3, 1942, Delbo said goodbye to her husband. Police executed him shortly after. Delbo was then transferred to Romainville on August 24, and then Compiègne. The morning of January 23, 1943, Delbo and 230 female political prisoners were deported by train to Auschwitz. Known as the convoy of 31000, because the prisoners' serial numbers ranged from 31625 to 31854. The train was the only transport of non-Jews to go to Auschwitz-Birkenau from France. Trapped in cargo containers, the women spent three days and nights aboard the train, journeying well over a thousand miles to Poland. No stops were made for prisoners to use restrooms or replenish food and water supplies. Little did they know those three days were only the beginning of their torture. Of the 230 who boarded the train, Only 49 of the women would return to France. 85% were political prisoners or resistors. The women aged in range from 19 to 68. Over the next two years, the convoy's number dwindled, often the result of typhus or selection for gas chambers. Delbo, identified a serial number 31661, was one of the few to live until April 1945 when the Red Cross evacuated the camp. Delbo would later grapple with communicating the unimaginable, the horror of the Holocaust, and a series of works, including Auschwitz and After, which is divided into three volumes. None of Us Will Return, Useless Knowledge, and The Measure of Our Days. She also decided to write a rather unique volume, which she published 20 years after the war. Convoy to Auschwitz begins with a section titled Departure and Return, opening the morning of January 24th, 1943.
0: As we came into town, we noticed a few pedestrians. We sang and called out, trying to startle them. We're French women, political prisoners, were being deported to Germany. They would stop for a moment at the edge of the sidewalk, raise their eyes, quickly lower them, and continue on their way. We continued on ours and soon lost sight of them. The trucks stopped near a railroad siding far from the docks. The freight cars formed a long train. They contained 1,200 men. The last four cars were empty. As we jumped down, German soldiers directed us into the train. We settled in for a long journey. Wednesday, January 27th. 1943. The cars were opened. Cries, shouts, incomprehensible orders, dogs, SS, machine guns, the clanging of weapons. A roadside that was not a station. The cold was piercing. Where were we? We found out only two months later, 150 women died without knowing they were at Auschwitz. By August 1944,
1: the surviving convoy members were transferred to Ravensbrück, a camp located approximately 50 miles north of Berlin. They joined the over 50,000 prisoners, mostly women, coming from over 30 countries, with the largest numbers from Poland, the Soviet Union, and the German Reich. Only 6% came from France. Although the camp's administrators were male, the camp staff was entirely female. In addition to being a labor camp, with jobs like the production of latex. Ravensbrück was also a site of medical experimentation, and it served as a brothel for neighboring male prisoners. Most of the remaining women from Delbo's convoy, however, were placed in the Night and Fog block. The codename Night and Fog referred to a degree by Adolf Hitler on December 7, 1941, which demanded political resistors be captured and brought to Germany under the cover of Night and Fog. This degree circumvented traditional conventions for treatment of prisoners of war. Hitler felt that capturing resistors and clandestinely deporting them, unbeknownst to friends or family, would dissuade future resistance. It also served as an homage to one of Hitler's favorite composers, Richard Wagner. In Mein Kampf, Hitler recalled how, quote, At the age of 12, I saw the first opera of my life, Wagner's Lohengrin. In one instant, I was addicted, Wagner, too, had been an anti-Semite and fervent nationalist, with writings that later inspired Hitler's racial policies. Night and Fog, a reference to A Cloak of Invisibility in Wagner's The Ring Opera, describes clandestine actions often concealed by the darkness and fog of night. It was merely one of many instances when Hitler paid tribute to his favorite German predecessors. Although the women deported under the Night and Fog Decree on January 23, 1943, were not Jewish, they were treated the same as other inmates. However, they were not permitted to be transferred to other sites. Often, they could not work, and they could not send or receive mail. Not that it mattered, as postal service to France had been cut off. Despite these restrictions, mortality rates for the prisoners was high, As Delbo explains in Convoy to Auschwitz, after 27 months of deportation, 49 of the convoy remained.
0: Why this blessing? We have to admit, we still don't know. One can always guess, or simply imagine, that one fine day, some bureaucrat discovered that, contrary to regulations, non-Jewish French citizens were being held at Auschwitz. No convoy of politicals was sent to Auschwitz after ours. When the evacuation of the camps began, the survivors of the convoy were scattered. For all of us, this is still a miracle we cannot fathom.
1: Over the course of the following 200 pages, Delba writes an entry about each of the 230 women deported alongside her. With the aid of her comrades, Cécile, Madeleine, Gilbert, Marie-Elisa, Olga, and two Delbo compiled information about as many as possible, interviewing survivors, as well as their friends and families, and mining archival research. The entries begin with the women's names, often accompanied by a maiden name or nickname. The vignettes include details about the women's birthplaces, their occupations, their families, and the circumstances of their resistance and arrest. Although trials were not commonplace before deportation, the stories often include details about loved ones similarly arrested and killed. Marcel Birchot:
0: born on April 7th, 1923, an only child. After her father's arrest, she became involved in the resistance. She was arrested on August 6th, 1942. The police had seized inadequately coded documents on a young man. Confronted with Marcel, a member of her group named her after hours of torture.
1: Her Auschwitz number is unknown, but begins with
0: 3-1. She died on April 16th, 1943. She had just turned 20 years old. Marcel Bureau's young fiancé was arrested when she was. He came back from the camps. The young man survived only because he was buried under a heap of corpses. Marcel Bureau's mother was broken by her daughter's death. Sophie Brabander and her daughter, Hélène. Madame Brabander was first for the shower and the shearing. As ordered, she stripped and sat on a stool to have her hair cut by another inmate. Hélène, standing naked too, was waiting her turn she sat down in her mother's place. Her mother took the scissors and cut her daughter's hair herself. Sophie Brabender was caught in the race on February 10th, 1943. She died several days later in Block 25. Ellen died in the Revier on May 12th or 13th, 1943. Those who survived the initial selection at Auschwitz
1: were tattooed with an inmate number on their forearm. Delbo often includes this number, followed by the details of their survival or death, when possible. Sometimes little is known about the woman, leading Delbo to wonder where did she come from? Why was she arrested? Yvonne Bonnard.
0: Born on August 5, 1899, we found her at Romanville, where she'd been since August 7th or 8th, 1942, and nicknamed her Grandma. Yvonne, when she told us she'd married very young, already had a married daughter, and had just become a grandmother.
1: Her Auschwitz number is unknown, but begins with 31.
0: We do not know her number because we have no photograph. One evening after the roll call, she fell in the mud. Friends carried her back to the block. She died during the night, around February 15, 1943 we have not been able to locate her family.
1: Delbo provides each woman the dignity of being remembered for resisting the Nazi occupation and for risking their lives. In doing so, she also documents the Holocaust. Whenever Delbo presents jargon from the camps, she divines the term and offers further context. By presenting the rhetoric of the concentration camps alongside these women's stories, she testifies to the atrocities of the Nazi regime. And French collaborators. More importantly, she honors the lives united by this journey to hell.
0: After the morning roll call, which had lasted, as it always did, from four to eight hours, the SS made all inmates leave in columns. A thousand women already numb from standing still. It was minus 18 degrees centigrade. Women were falling in the snow and dying. Around five o'clock in the evening, the whistle blew the order to return. When you get to the gate, run! Yes, we had to run, armed, with sticks, lashes, canes, and belts, the SS beat the women as they went by. The race, that is what we called it, took place on February 10th, 1943, exactly two weeks after our arrival. Mado. She came directly from the cells to the convoy on January 23rd, 1943, the eve of departure, She was probably in the train car with a group of women who all perished. She must have died in the first few days. No one had time to get acquainted with her. None of the women surviving today remembers her.
1: Charlotte Delbo continued to write until her death in 1985. She never remarried, but was survived by her son. Today, a plaque hangs on her former home. It reads, here, were arrested on March 2nd, 1942 by five Special Brigade policemen, Georges Dudac, resister, dead for France, and Charlotte, resistor, deported to Auschwitz and Ravensbrück. This has been Death in Numbers, a podcast created and produced by the Humanities Media Project and the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin and Liberal Arts Instructional Technology Services. We are Amy Viter and Caroline Barda. Notes for the show, including links and photos, can be found on our website, humanitiesmediaproject.org. Our theme music is Enthusiast by Tours. Thank you for listening.